Canucks Central Thursday. It's Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah here in the Kintec studio. Kintec footwear and orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintec.net. You know, some people watch like any given Sunday to get hyped for uh, whatever they're about to do, like the gym. You know, they'll watch the big yeah, Al Pacino yeah. speech. Yeah. Sat and I are just here listening to Patriots fans yeah. yell about Bill Belichick. <laughs> oh man, Mac I'm just Jones has got a noodle arm. Like, what is happening? <laughs> God. Bill Belichick's never been a good coach. Oh, man. Just dying. That, but I'm hyped, man. I'm hyped. That plus an 8-1 win will get you hyped to talk Canucks here on Canucks Central today. That's exactly what we're going to do. Nick Kiprios is going to join us. Uh, also, Harmon Dial of The Athletic here on Canucks Central. 8-1 the win over Edmonton to open the season. Canucks uh, snap a five-game losing skid against the Oilers at Rogers Arena in emphatic fashion and I know we talked a lot about it last night on uh well certainly you and Bic mm-hmm. talked about a lot about it on on the post game show last night sat but to bring the conversation forward as we often do you know it's an 8-1 win yeah they had three power play goals the Oilers goaltending was really bad yes <laughs> was not very good but at the same time I'm not here to tell you this was a fluky victory. I think there was a lot of encouraging signs, building blocks, things that are translatable moving forward for the Vancouver Canucks rather than just a 8-1 one-off laugher. Yeah, man. And rewatching the game today, today, the thing that stood out to me more than anything, even more than the eight goals, was just how clean and disruptive they were playing. And they were consistently in the Oilers' face. They were getting... Sticks on pucks everywhere across the ice. They were in the right position. They were completely committed to playing proper hockey that entire game. I haven't seen the team do that. Even last year when they got talking coming in, they had moments where you saw they're they're working towards something. They had some good games. You saw the structure improve. But it was still like a battle of, okay, now you're in the right spot now, but how are you actively engaged? And how do you kind of still play with a bit more authority when you're in your spot? That's starting to show. It showed in the first game of the season already. And to me, that's pretty impressive. And, and that's what I've been looking for, for from the team. Can you play proper hockey? And I, I had a smile on my face watching the game again on TV at my home tonight, today. Because yeah. I'm like, man, like, it's, it's, just, it's just nice to watch a team do the right thing at the right time. But also have the commitment it takes to do it for 60 minutes. That was um, you know, probably the thing that stood out more than anything, was the Canucks' level of commitment throughout the entire game. And, yeah, at first, you know, it was kind of adrenaline rush. You kind of got a little frantic in those first 10 minutes or so. But once, you know, Garland scored, the Canucks really settled into their game, it felt like. And that's when they really started to lean on the Oilers. And you don't see a lot of teams lean on the Oilers in that way. No, and it wasn't even so much that they were heavy, but they were finishing checks, right? And just the fact that everything Edmonton had to do was difficult. There was no space that was uncontested for them. Yeah. And when you have to play an opponent that that doesn't let you have free space at any point or have an easy shift, it gets annoying. It's tough to play against. And, you know, for an Edmonton team that's already talking about winning the Stanley Cup, it's clear that their focus is 
beyond game 82 of the season. So game one, there's a long way to go to 82, let alone get to the playoffs. And they've played these Canucks before. Exactly. You so know, they know how easy a ride it can be playing against the Vancouver Canucks in years past. It's a, it's not a home game, right? But you know what? I will say it's not like Edmonton wasn't trying. Yeah. Like I thought, especially the first five, 10 minutes of the game, they were playing with a lot of pace. They almost caught Vancouver on a couple of moments. It was lucky. It was, it was Brett Kulak who, who, uh, yep. uh, who twisted uh, Noah, Noah Juleson on that chance. And, now, he doesn't score, but if that's McDavid, maybe it's a little bit different. But outside of that, I thought they had a really difficult time getting a lot of free space against Vancouver. And I think they weren't quite ready for that type of performance from Vancouver, I don't think. No. Uh, 650-650 on the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. What was the most encouraging sign from the 8-1 win over the Edmonton Oilers? And you know, that's sort of what got me, was the Oilers' reaction. Right? You have Drysidle taking cheap shots at the end of the game because he's so frustrated. You know, the extra little hack he took at Ian Cole. <laughs> whatever yeah. whatever he could do uh to do a little bit extra. You know, he took the, the shot at Elias Pettersson too early in the third period. You you could just tell that the Canucks were getting under the skin of their opponent. This is so often when you talk about hard to play against you know, it wasn't like the Canucks were super heavy last night. They weren't bodying everybody. Yeah. They weren't taking cheap shots or anything else. They were just on every puck. They were winning every battle. And that, Matt, it's honestly, at the end of the day, we, we've been talking about how this team needs to be tougher, but it's not just about toughness of going out there and out phys- like being out physical compared to your opponent or, or just being dominant physically. It's about winning the puck. Yeah, it's winning space. Yeah, it's it's coming away, creating more than your opponent, and that's how you do so. Taking away time and space, precisely. And when this team does that, or any team does that, they're going to be super hard to play against. And now, if you're big and heavy, and you do that, well, then you're a terror, and that's what the Vegas Golden Knights are. Yeah, right. And that's why they won the Stanley Cup. You know what I mean? And of course, there's always a long way to go to get to that type of stratosphere. But in terms of taking a step and having the foundation of this is who we are, this is how we play. If you have that, if you do start, you know, chipping away and building an identity, then I think you're you're at least giving yourself the foundation to when you do add the talent, now you can do something. Because it's great to accumulate talent, and that's what you need to do. We we sit here and talk about, you know, we had the discussion yesterday about what do you do with Garland? Do you sweeten sweeten it up and try to trade a first even to go and acquire a better player? Like at what point do you try to add to this team? Yeah. You still need more talent, obviously. But if you don't have that foundation, of commitment and identity, it doesn't matter how much talent you have. We've seen teams with good collections of talent never go anywhere. Yep. Because they don't have like that identity and they don't play towards something. And the way the Canucks were playing last night, if you can bottle that up, well, you might have something. Uh, Torgi, watching last night, I noticed these same things. It was so nice to see they played a near flawless game. Board battle wins, not just because of effort, it was positioning, getting support in the right areas, great sticks. I need Mikheyev in this lineup. If they can continue to play this way and uh, McCabe, not too far away, but yeah, that'll deepen the lineup even a little bit more. And another guy who can be hard on pucks and quick to get to pucks with his pace of play as well. So that can only add to this identity. The Canucks are building Tyler. How about how positionally sound the PK was for the most part? You know, the only time like the, the goal that Edmonton scored was a power play goal. It was dry sidle from that, 
crazy angle that he so often scores from. That's honestly, I mean, I don't know what else you do on that play. That's just dry yeah, sidles doing dry It was kind of like uh, there was a weird scramble in front. Miller lost his stick and it caused some confusion. It gave dry saddle that extra little second uh, to be able to get that, that shot off. But, Look, Edmonton is going to score 30% of their power plays. Yeah. <laughs> That's just the way that it works. So the Canucks being at 25% last night is actually, mm-hmm. uh, or holding them 25% is actually uh, better than what most teams did last year against the Edmonton Oilers. The PK, it translated from the preseason into last night. And mm-hmm. it, it it's not so much just the PK, but... You know, you're talking about getting sticks on pucks and closing passing lanes. They're not just doing that on the PK. They're doing that everywhere. They were doing that in their own end yeah. constantly, even at five on five. When they would get hemmed in, they're never, like maybe on a few occasions, a handful of occasions, there was a little bit of panic, but it always felt like they were comfortable in their, mm-hmm. I hate to overuse the word, but they were comfortable in their structure, yeah. in their defensive zone um, posture and what they wanted to do defensively, they they never seem to have too much panic in their own end. No, and that's something that we oftentimes saw from this team, right? It just kind of falls apart. It becomes a bit of a fire drill. That panic really wasn't there. But in terms of having your stick in the right spot and taking pucks away, I think there were a couple of players, but nobody personified that better last night than pew pew suitor like honestly because that guy was like he was he was taking away passing lanes but he was also he was so good at at baiting you into making a pass and then jumping the lane afterwards like you could see when you watch it on replay and even watch there in the game he's already identifying and scanning the play but he'll just slow up a tad and just keep a stick close to him a tad so you still make the pass, and then he jumps and knocks it away or jumps and steals the puck, and he did like it a, on the PK. Like a cornerback goading a quarterback into making a throw before he jumps the route. Yeah, or jumping a passing lane in basketball. Yeah. You're you're just waiting for the guy, and then you jump the lane, and you go the other way for a layup or a dunk if you can actually dunk. Yeah. But, you know. I, I don't know what that feels like, Sat. <laughs> I don't know. No, but I'm just saying. like, <laughs> but I don't know why you had to bring that up. <laughs> I'm, just, no, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Yeah, and like halfway through this sentence, you're like, oh, I shouldn't have said this. Maybe I shouldn't have said this. <laughs> just I mean, a short jumper would be good. <laughs> yeah, just, yeah. Yeah, touche. Some of us just lay it up, you know? Like, <laughs> we just, we just got to lay it up. That's all we do. Um, but, I mean, so not only that, but also just his smarts with the puck, too. But I don't think anybody was as effective as he was in jumping passing lanes, having a stick in the right spot, and also disrupting passes. In the offensive zone, in the defensive zone, there's so many pucks and plays that he took away last night. Uh, it, it felt like all of the new guys played pretty well last night. Sam Lafferty had a really good game further down the lineup, had an assist to go to it, go with it. Um, Ian Cole was just, I mean, (laughs) uh, there were times like Ian Cole, like just boxing out in front of the net, like his physicality in front of the net, things that you just really enjoy watching. And, you know, being at the game, if you just honed in on, on what Ian Cole was doing a lot of the time, you could really appreciate his defensive awareness and his defensive prowess in the game. So Pew Suter, Sam Lafferty, Ian Cole, I, like there was a lot to like. I know Carson Soucy and Teddy Bluger were not in the lineup, but you know the the defensive additions, the additions they made in the offseason, you can kind of see how they envisioned it contributing to the ident- the overall identity of the team. Yeah, I mean, you see at least what you, to your point what you're building towards. Yeah, it, you can see it. It makes sense. I mean, so many other times we looked at this team in previous years and we were like, I don't see it quite. And even last year when we looked at the team and said, 
how are they going to come together even with Boudreaux? Like, how are they going to play? And then even when you looked at it and said, do they have enough players to, to play certain roles that brought Lazar in? But at the same time, they really struggled to to have success on the PK. They have, they struggled to find consistency in the bottom six in terms of giving guys roles. It was clear the team was very um, unbalanced in how it was built. And not even in terms of talent, but just in terms of players having roles. Now, everyone has a designed role. Yeah. And when you have that, you have a clear style of play, then you have a foundation, like we mentioned a bit earlier. Now, it's one game, right? It's 8-1. It's it's super hype. We're having a great time. And I, I you know, we all hope that this can continue, but it's one game. Yeah. And it's not going to be easy against Edmonton on Saturday. We well, all know this. I think Rick David is going to be a little bit fired up for just, the return leg. Just a little bit. Just yeah. a little bit. Maybe not a lot, though. He might be a little bit, you know. No, he's. they're going to be fired up. It's going to be hard to play against them, man. I wonder so, how many people are mad that I called it the return leg. <laughs> Probably somebody. <laughs> Somebody's shaking their head angrily. Soccer is showing. Yeah, yes. there you go. Yeah, but I think um, it, it's more about, to me, looking at the commitment they had yeah. and how they played. And even in games last year and years prior, early in the season when they took some leads, the way they played was you looked at it, you're like, well, this is kind of fire wagon hockey or this is like very, you know, un, like very shaky hockey. They're scoring, but it's clear they have a lot of things they have to kind of shore up. But from that perspective, it wasn't as evident last night, if you, at all. You know, they still scored three power play goals, right? So... It... <laughs> Like, these things aren't going to happen all the time, obviously. They're not going to score eight goals every game. We know all this. But this conversation is more about what was encouraging so that they can keep building on this. Yeah. And, you know, Brock scoring four, I think it's great for his confidence. I think he's sometimes the kind of player that needs a little bit of that validation to keep pushing in the right direction in the way that he was last night. But the reason he scored four, you know, he, he has the great shot on the first one and you love to see that the release, those things that harken back to Brock Besser's rookie season, but he was constantly going to the net. Why do you think he gets, you know, the two, the, the tap in for his fourth goal. He's constantly in the right place, earning your bounces, earning your luck. And the Canucks did that through the lineup last night and Brock Besser's four four goals are probably the best example of it. But even with the four, he was the screen for the two others yeah. when he was on the ice. So those are things that you can certainly build on. And overall, the best line of the night was Besser, Miller, and Phil DiGiuseppe. Yeah, I mean, I, I want to call them the wall line. And, I, and I'm not even saying in terms of a nickname, but just how I view them in terms of, like, how they play. The, the first, wall line. Yeah, I mean, it's very boring. I think we got to jazz it up a little bit Maybe. more. But, I, I mean, that's what it was. You know, But you know what? Like, outside of Besser's release, that Can goal... We call them the wall guys? The wall guys, the wall guys. <laughs> yeah, sure, call them the wall guys, sure. Just stealing talks phrases. Yeah, well, yeah, no, but I'm just saying, like, yes, I am to some extent. But, but how do they score their first goal? How many board battles and chips did they make to get that first puck to Besser? It was Miller, Besser, PDG, Miller, all along the boards yeah. before Besser scored in the slot mm-hmm. or just outside of the slot in the corner, right? Yeah. It was in the neutral zone, by the blue line twice, and then down by the goal line, all, yeah. all along the wall. Yeah, it was... That's like five, like six board <laughs> battles. It was constant, right? Like they were winning so many battles and you don't see a line get hard matched against McDavid like that and win so definitively, right? They outscored the Oilers three zip with McDavid on the ice at five on five. 
I mean, that just doesn't happen no, against Connor McDavid. I saw Drans put the tweet yeah. out of what it's only happened, you know, one other time. Yeah. Right? Something like that. Like It just doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. Like, it just kind of shows in terms of, like, we can sit here and say, you know, it's, it's one game, and it is one game. But certain things happened that were impressive. Yeah. This was the largest margin of victory the Canucks have ever had in a season opening game. And, hey, we have to be fair. What did we keep referencing last year? historically bad start, yes. right? They're giving up. They're losing multi-goal games. Years. Nobody's ever lost this many multi-goal game. Uh, have, have, no, no team had lost that many consecutive multi-goal leads yeah. to begin a season. Stuff that had never happened in NHL history, right? The PK was historically bad to start a season. We're citing all those things, right? So it's fair to also cite, even if it's one game, things that haven't happened before that are positive for once for Vancouver. Torgy, call them the night watch. Protect the wall. <laughs> That's not bad. I like that. You know what, Torgy? You might be on to something. You might be. Uh, it, wasn't, it wasn't just the offense that that line brought. You know, there was a couple of occasions. There was one moment that I didn't like. At the end of the first period, you know, Miller ends up taking the penalty. Yeah. It felt like they switched off for a second and the Oilers, you know, caught them in the way that they can. And look, Miller didn't give up or anything like that. He battled McDavid all the way through and ended up taking the penalty in order to make sure that, you know, he didn't get a great a chance, which in the end you recovered well. So can't really harp on it too much, but there were moments where even later in the game, when it's kind of out of hand and no one's going to, you know, cuss you out too hard for um, switching off a little bit, but guys were still in the right spot. Besser, Besser, notices that PDG and Miller are a little bit low below the hash marks. I'm not going to get any further. I'm going to be the third man high, make sure that there's no transition chance going back the other way. And you snuff out any sort of rush chance going back the other way. These are, you know, things that, you know, when you talk about a player cheating and talk it constantly saying when he first got here, guys are cheating too much on the offensive side of the puck. You know, those are the things that he's really worked hard to stamp out that you saw all throughout the night last night felt like they were stamped out of their game. Clean, disruptive hockey, yeah. right? Being in the right position, you're right, being patient. And you know, like what, what these things do, they don't guarantee you victories every night. It no. may not even guarantee you being in the game against, or, you know, having a close game necessarily against Edmonton in the next game. But you know what it eliminates? You shooting yourself in the foot. Yeah. At least you can give yourself the best chance possible that day without you hurting yourself against the team, right? Now, if Edmondson comes out firing and they raise their level and McDavid does McDavid things, guess what? That happens. Yeah. And that's okay, right? As long as you're not the one who's inviting it. Or at least if you're not the one that's just giving away cheap goals, giving away cheap points. We, we harped on line changes. All the line changes were, were sharp. I mean, they were, they weren't staying out too long, but they were beelining lining it to the bench to get off. They were chasing pucks deep to allow their teammates to get off and the other guys to get set in the neutral zone, especially on on pucks in deep. And those are the types of things you have to do to be able to keep up against these teams that are clearly a notch above you. Like nobody's sitting here and saying Vancouver is as talented as Edmonton is, but. That's how you have to play to have a chance against them. Now, everything went right. It, it was all aces last night for Vancouver. That's not going to happen every night. It might be the best game of the year, right? Best room may not have a better game all season, but that's at least something you can build on and you can show and say, if we do these things, no matter who the team is, we can win. And we yeah. can win convincingly on any given night. And that's the type of hope you need as a team to build that belief and buy-in as the season goes on. Look, if that second line plays as well as they did last night for the majority of the season, and they're able to take on you know, the opposition's best line and play pretty well, yeah. win a lot of their matchups, 
you know, the Canucks are going to have a very successful season. And uh, that was uh, really one of the more encouraging signs of last night. Let's uh, keep going to the 650-650 Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. Okay, okay, okay. Let's not kid ourselves. This has so much more to do with how below average the Oilers played. And yes, Jay Woodcroft is in the hot seat if things don't change. That's from Ian and Dunbar. Look, Oilers were bad. Part of that, though, was because of how the Canucks played. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't Edmondson's best performance. No. Or you'd even say their best complete effort or anything like that. You but know? it's because the Canucks were so disruptive. For sure. I mean, you give Vancouver credit, but I would say that there's a better effort in there. Oh, for sure. From Edmonton, 100%, right? And that's what you have to be prepared for on Saturday when you go in there, right? And, you know, somebody said what would be impressive, the real measuring stick is the next game coming up. Let's be real. That's the one. Because, yeah. you know, the Oilers give up in the second is what, the t- was, what this text message says. Fair enough. But, yeah, if you show up and you have a... Like, to me, you don't even have to win the game in Edmonton. But can you keep it close and, and replicate the same type of process you had? If you can yeah. play the same process and they win a hard-fought game or they're, they're just superior in talent and McDavid does McDavid things, you just tip your cap. You say, okay, we were beat by a superior team, but don't give it to them. Yeah. Uh, another text came in uh, asking what we felt about McDavid's comments after the game. Do you have any reaction to what McDavid had to say about the Canucks playing them Playing the top power play at 6-1, I was at the game, and if Dreisaitl is going to take frustration cross-checking penalties, fill the net. McStat patter would have done no different. That's from uh, Stephen and Langley. It was, um, (laughs) you know, with McDavid, he mentioned uh, Thatcher Demko as well, and Never really seen that before, but I'm Wait sure sick. he didn't. Uh, no, he, he didn't, didn't know. know about uh, Thatcher's illness at the time when he was asked about it post game. But and I saw you tweet this as well. It's like, well, if you're going to take cheap shots, what do you expect? Yeah, well, you 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 want to take runs at the best player, and I know Pedersen, uh, you know, took a run at CC, and you know, you can quibble if did he leave his feet on the hit or whatever it was. Uh, he, is it a bit of a charge? He, he might have. A little he might have. Is it a bit of a charge? You know, potentially fine, whatever, right? I'm okay with Pedersen. Yeah, you know, but he's still the Canucks' best player. Yeah. You know, and it doesn't matter whether he took a run at you or not. If you're going after him, we're going to have to make you pay. Yeah. It doesn't matter what he did. You know what I mean? It's it's one of those things where it's like if somebody hits your brother and yep. if it was your brother's fault, you're still sticking up for your brother, aren't you? Probably, yes. Right. It's like, you know, we'll deal with it and I'll give you crap for it later. <laughs> but so we'll deal with it. You know what I mean? Like we're going to make somebody pay. We're not going to let somebody get away with this. It doesn't matter what the person did. It's still family you have to protect, right? Yes. And this team, again, isn't going to go out there and, and beat the crap out of anybody consistently, right, as a group because, yeah. you know, the other teams are bigger and tougher. But that's how you have to keep teams honest. If you want to, you know, smack Pedersen with some crosses and cross checks and slashes well then yeah keep your first unit power play out there and I liked it uh, Sats like Ben Affleck in the town <laughs> I don't know I'm not going to tell you where we're going what we're doing I just need you to come and help me beat these guys up okay <laughs> who's caught we taking <laughs> that's sad <laughs> and I love it uh, but it's true you know like again uh, people are going to get tired of me saying this this season. But my advice to McDavid, if you don't like it, play better. Yeah. You and the rest of your lineup. We said that about Vancouver all the time. Yep. You know, uh, you're getting your teeth kicked in. You don't like it. Play better. Uh, it's professional sports. Um, Canucks had every right to keep threading out their top power play unit if they wanted to last night. And yeah, after that seven, one goal from JT Miller, 
he, they, you know, they sent out the third power play unit basically. So, you know, you got your wish later on in the game, but the Canucks, I think they had every right to not take their foot off the pedal last night. And if May, McDavid, if you don't like it, play better. And I'm sure he, he will on Saturday night, which uh, sets up pretty good one on Saturday night. Uh, all right, coming up, Nick Kiprios is going to join us. Real Kipper and Bourne, his take on the Canucks and the Oilers and uh, their hopes and dreams for this upcoming season. Tune into the Sportsnet Radio Friday Soccer Report brought to you by Casiero del Diablo Wines and the Way to Be a Legend Contest. The chance to win a once-in-a-lifetime trip to England for the ultimate Manchester United experience, including a chance to play a football match at Old Trafford where Manchester United legends will make an appearance. No purchase necessary. Conditions apply. Must be legal drinking age. Casiero del Diablo. Available at BC Liquor. Please enjoy responsibly. Enter in-store or visit CasieroManchester.com. You are listening to Canuck Central. Hitting the most important topics for Vancouver sports fans. The People's Show with Vic Nazar. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Dan Richo, Satyar Shad is Canuck Central here on Sportsnet 650. The uh, return leg is uh, coming up Saturday against the Edmonton Oilers. Somebody asked uh, if the Canucks win the two legs by one aggregate. <laughs> is that still good? <laughs> I'm like, wait a second. Uh, Canucks are playing with house money now, taking one or two from the Oilers in this uh, home and home to start the season. I feel like that's uh, the way a lot of people are looking at it, given what some of the uh, predictions were going into these first two games. Let's bring in our next guest. You hear him every uh, every day now here on Sportsnet 650 from 2 to 3 o'clock. It is Nick Kiprios, Real Kipper and Bourne. What's happening, Kipper? We're good. How are you guys? Uh, yeah, people feeling good. It's only one, but... <laughs> Sure beats the alternative of losing and feeling horrible. Canucks fans are happy they pissed off McDavid. You know, I don't know how it's going to look on Saturday night, but you know, he's he's talking to he's talking about uh, the Canucks throwing out the first power play unit there late in the third period, making it seven one. Uh, I mean, my response to to anybody who says something like that is, uh, if you don't like it, play better. And I'm sure McDavid will on Saturday, so we'll get a good test. Well, we all heard the narrative coming. To- you know, coming from Connor, you know, even in the summer, and that's uh, Stanley Cup or bust. Uh, He's well aware at this point of his career that uh, it's not about 160 or 170 points this year, although some are egging him on, including Sid, I think, to go after 170 points. But the legacy is about championships with these certain guys. It's not not the final number uh, in goals and assists. And those will look after themselves as they always do. And no question he's going to be a hall of famer one day, but last thing he wants is to be a hall of famer without a championship. And it's clear that that is the goal for the season. So sometimes the first game of the year, you're, you might be overlooking your opponent just ever so slightly. And for this Vancouver team, I think one of the main thing that Dan and I have been impressed by, and yeah, winning 8-1 on the scoreboard is great and everything, but it's more about playing committed hockey. And we know for a few years in Vancouver, they've changed coaches. The buy-in hasn't been there. They played very sloppy hockey. They haven't had players in prescribed roles. So I think 
you see a big difference, don't you, when a team plays committed hockey and knows what they're doing out on the ice in terms of the roles, don't you? Yeah, and you know, I'm a little biased here because I've I've known Rick Tockett uh, for over 30 years. Uh, got a chance to break into a training camp. My first NHL training camp was with the Philadelphia Flyers, and uh, Rick was there. And you know, being out of Toronto and training every once in a while with them or skating in the summer, you know, I I, I know the quality person that he is and the commitment to the game and how he thinks and it's not a it's not a, a light switch that turns on and off this guy's hockey motor runs 24 7 and i mean it's he, he's he is a lifer he understands the game and more importantly he understands the characteristics of of what it takes um you know to make a successful hockey team and it, it may take a little bit more time here uh, is is the opening game a real good indicative of what Canuck fans will see the rest of the season? I I think the the blueprint's there. I mean, obviously, it's a matter of consistency and it's a matter of certain players rising, you know, and uh, and your great players being great. But but Rick has an understanding of that, and I I just I loved his comment after the game that. Uh, you know, they're not ready to order rings just yet. And he has a way of making people feel like tomorrow's another day and it's about coming to work. And that's, uh, I think that's the mentality that you'll see all season long. And especially going into Saturday night where Connor and, and the boys get a second chance. Well, you, you know, you know Rick very well, obviously. And in terms of his ability to get buy-in from players, like what is it about his temperament that you know that he's so good at connecting with guys, but also, you know, being able to kind of command that authority still in a positive way? Yeah, I, I think you know, and uh, I'm not saying like you know, you have you, you have to have played the game uh, uh, to be successful in, in in this business, but it sure helps knowing the type of player that he was and, and, and knowing that a uh, Rick talk in his heyday could beat him many ways. Uh, and he, he was willing to do whatever it took to win. And I think that the credibility that he comes in and then, you know, I mean, also an Adam foots right there too. I mean, these guys are, have the ability to look people in the eye and just say, Hey, I, I know when a player's, playing hard i know when he's committed i know when he's giving it his all and uh you know if you're not if you're not there you're not going to fool these guys and uh, they're fair guys they've followed the game for a very long time they've they understand today's players and they understand that you know the, the certain things that we got away with or the things that we did you know, 30 years ago may not work for everybody today. And they, they understand it. They, they don't, they're not dinosaurs, man. They, they understand today's game. They understand the mentality of the players today, more accountability uh, today than I, I think on many occasions we had when we played. Um, and then there's other, there's other parts of it where there's not enough accountability, but those guys have a great read for it. And I think the players, in that dressing room understand it and uh you know i 
I know there's been a lot of changes the last few years in Vancouver, but I, I think they got it right with these two guys. It feels like it, you know. The I think there's like a combination of things happening here, Kipper. It's like the players have have had enough of the losing, uh, and you know this new coaching staff uh, with Rick Tockett, even Adam Foot, Sergey Gonchar. You know, they there there's just a, a level of respect that you know we can see when we've talked to the players that towards the coaching staff that. As you mentioned, like you don't have to have had played, but but it can certainly help, yeah. and and I, I feel like it's translated onto the ice, and we saw a large part of that last night. But I'm I'm curious, you know, now we have the eight one, so it's uh, maybe maybe context has changed a little bit. But how did you feel about the Canucks coming into the season? Uh, that as as long as you see growth, I mean, if they miss the playoffs, I don't think anybody would be surprised, but. You know, at the same time, uh, we we know that there's, you know, there's some all-stars in this lineup. And, you know, I, I think the most important one for, for Vancouver, with all due respect to, you know, the likes of, uh, you know, Petey and, and, and Quinn, is that, you know, Demko, if he's healthy, gives you a chance to win every night. And, you know, the, the feeling as as I watched the first 10 minutes of that hockey game, was uh, that you know, Demko looks and feels like there's a there's a there's an aura about him, you know, when he's back there. And I honestly felt like, you know, as the game progressed, you know, in those early minutes, that that a Vancouver team certainly feels way better about their goalie situation than the Edmonton Oilers, and and the and, and it's the Oilers who who everybody's telling me are should be favorites to win the Stanley Cup. But, you know, as soon as you, you, you see a little bit of that uh, reverse, uh, you know, that, that, that snowball, you know, on the Edmonton side, and sure, you know, lo and behold, everything that you didn't feel in training camp with Jack Campbell and, and Skinner came, like, right to the surface, you know, halfway through the game. And... Again, no one's really given Vancouver a ton of credit here to to challenge, but you know, knowing if Demko can stay healthy and he's regarded as a top ten goalie in the league, uh, you got to think that there's a chance every night that the Vancouver Canucks players should feel like they can win on any given night, and then you see where you go from there. Yeah, we're, we're all certainly hoping that they can bottle up what they showed last night and have that type of season. But obviously, heading into the year too, there's always uh, speculation on contracts, whether it's Elias Pettersson or uh, we heard all the Connor Garland stuff leading into the game in terms of his agent working with the team to p- perhaps facilitate a trade elsewhere. And you know as well as anybody, uh, Kip, Kipper, that Jim Rutherford and his front office, they love making trades. They've made two already, you know, uh, ahead of the season here, getting Lafferty and, and moving Tanner Pearson with Casey DeSmith. Yeah. It's not from a lack of trying, them trying to move a guy like Connor Garland, but how likely is it to even try to work those types of deals out considering how tight everyone is up against the cap right now? Um, it's incredibly difficult for anybody uh, to, to do anything right now. And you're going to have to be in a position of, of being patient and and watching things kind of evolve and we know as early as american thanksgiving that you know they they start separating the pretenders from the contenders and then who might be available starts kind of unveiling on its own um but 
you know, we've heard the Brock Besser rumors for a very long time. And, you know, not, I, uh, four goals later, uh, you know, he's feeling great about himself. Uh, the Vancouver Canucks are feeling a lot, a lot better about Brock after a very successful night. Who knows where that situation goes? I mean, can he, can he keep it going to the point where, you know, he's, he's ready for a career year in Vancouver and watch his stock rise and, 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 and change dynamics now of, of what they want to do or where they're, where they're looking now. Uh, you know, success is an amazing thing because it's, it, it almost gives some players like this rejuvenation to the point where what you thought might was coming down the pike is all of a sudden a, a different environment. Uh, the things that they were looking to do in July and August may change by October or November. Um, and again, that's why you just, you played them one day at a time and you, you, you hope that, uh, that there's a momentum going here and, uh, the likes of some guys that you thought were easy targets for trades are all of a sudden back in the plans. Things can change so quickly in this game. Nick Kiprios, our guest. Uh, you know, we've talked a lot about uh, Elias Pettersson and you know, our old bud uh, Elliot Friedman brought that story along uh, earlier this week, right? Um, you know, our read of it on this show has been, uh, it's not that the Canucks are... Uh, tentative on Pedersen. It's more, you know, do they think he's in the uh, $11.5, $12 million range of player yet? And you know what? You want to be that? You want to be paid like that? Maybe you got to show us yeah. show us it one more time. Uh, do you do you understand that sentiment from the Canucks side of things? Or are you more of the mind, like, pay the man because he's he's only going to yeah. get better? Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's really up to uh, Jimmy Rutherford and, of course, uh, you know, the, the Aquilini family and how they look at things. And then you go look at Buffalo and it's like, hey, as far as I'm concerned, Darlene has had one good year and then and, and he's he signed to 88 million bucks. Yeah. I mean, Buffalo could have easily been in a situation where they said, hey, show me one more time. And then if if they are in that situation and he has a second year at 75 points, now all of a sudden, Darlene's uh, uh, a, a year. I think, if I'm not mistaken, from unrestricted free agency. Yeah. And if you got all this new money, maybe, maybe he's knocking on the door of a Norris, and and a guy that young is all of a sudden uh, finding himself in a agent, and you know. Uh, Petey's in the same situation where, you know, be careful here. Like, you may want to see it one more time, but if he is successful and he's able to put together some big numbers and he continues to have, you know, uh, a, a look of a frontline superstar player, then you run the risk of watching him walk out the door in a few years. So, uh, hey, you know, which one is it? You're going to be on the... Uh, you're going to play the side of uh, I'll, I'll push this thing right to the cliff or are you going to play the side of the Buffalo Sabres and, and hedge that you found your guy that's going to lead you to the Stanley Cup. So 
get him signed ASAP. Well, and I think the other part of the equation potentially could also be the term on a contract like that. I mean, we know Austin Matthews essentially called his number and did it over five years, whereas most teams, if they're trying to pay a guy 11, 12 million, they want that term to be seven, eight years. And what what do you make of that type of possibility in general? Like, we know Austin Matthews has elected to do that. Do you think other stars might be looking at potentially going shorter term with those higher AAVs than maxing out at seven, eight years? Yeah, I mean, Austin's already been flirting the last, what, uh, five years as one of the highest paid guys in the mm-hmm. league. So there might be a little bit more flexibility there. But I, I think, you know, once once you start, you know, waving 40, 50, 60 million dollars in a guy's face, it's really hard to turn it down uh, for for 25 or 30 uh, every time these guys step on the ice, it could be their last game, right? You're, you're one injury away from, from shutting it down completely. And, you know, if, if they haven't been paying any attention at all, at all uh, it's a mistake uh, when it comes to, you know, uh, the Landis Cog situation in Colorado. I mean, from what I hear, you know, his career's, could easily be done and he just snuck in his long-term deal uh and 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 found some security and i'm sure as he tries to rehab and go against the odds of resuming his career he thanks his lucky stars every night that he he committed a long-term deal so you know for for some of these young players uh if if, if they get an opportunity to, to, to add as many years as they can, and we know they can max out at eight, you know, they, they, they usually grab it. Uh, Kipper, we appreciate the time as always. When are we getting the uh, little Buddha cocktails out in Vancouver? Oh, we're working on it. We're working <laughs> on it. <laughs> but thanks for the plug. I yeah, really I, like, I like to hear it. Uh, thanks, uh, thanks for this, Kipper. We'll talk soon. Okay, have a great night, everybody. Uh, there is uh, Nick Kiprios joining us here on uh, on Canuck Central. It's Dan Riccio and and Satyar Shah, uh, you know, weighing in as well. And you know that we didn't really talk about the the Darlene contract too much the other day when it happened. But not that it's a comp for Elias Pettersson, but similar. Where here's Darlene has one huge breakout season. And he's getting $88 million bucks. Yeah, and it's like, lock him up now, because he had a shorter-term deal before. Yeah, he had a bridge and, deal like Pedersen did. Yeah, and they're like, let's just get this done right now. And, I mean, with Buffalo, too, they're at a stage where, just like Vancouver, they have a lot invested, but they have a longer-term kind of approach here in terms of how they've gone about doing things. I mean, it's been the rebuild, that's rebuilt, the rebuild, that rebuild, <laughs> the previous rebuild. That's kind of been their pathway to where, yes. where they've gotten at this point. But... That's generally, I think, the best bet for you. If you believe in your player, lock them up. Yeah. You know, and and to be fair, like we're talking about Vancouver, maybe, you know, looking at that and, and that's from their side too. Like maybe even from Pedersen is he just wants to wait to see how high the number can go. Because we can say, sit here and say, yeah, offer 11. What if he's looking at higher? What if he's looking at it and saying, I really want to get through this season or at least play a bit more. And and I want to put myself in a different conversation. Yeah. Because I don't want to be in the Darlene discussion. I don't want to be in the Eichel discussion. I want to be in the Matthews discussion, which yeah. is a higher tax bracket. It is a uh, a little bit of a higher tax bracket. The highest paid players 
in the league by cap hit. Nathan McKinnon, Connor McDavid, Otemi Panarin, Austin Matthews, Eric Carlson. Those are the five this year. There's only five making more than $11.5 million yeah. on their average annual value. Uh, could Pedersen get into that stratosphere with another 100-point season? I think that's a very realistic outcome if he puts together another 100-point season. Well, yeah, and it, and and if the team puts up a 100-point season, essentially. Yeah. I mean, that's the combination, right? I mean, one of the reasons why you know those types of players also get paid that much is because their teams are also good. You know, like, you're, it's like, yeah, you're a star player, but you're also winning with this guy and that's what puts you in that discussion and a lot of a lot of it comes down to can you win you know and we saw really good things in the first game and it's just like keep doing things like that maybe not eight one every night but do things like that and maybe everything works out just fine marcus and gibson's all these new deals just make quinn's look that much better (laughs) yeah quinn quinn hughes's deal looks pretty good it was, uh, you know, watching Quinn last night, hearing Quinn on the post game. I don't know if those uh, that, that haven't listened to it yet, his walk-off interview with Bick, Sat, and Randeep was quite good. Had a real captain's feel to it. And he's taken that torch, but continues to be an incredible player on the ice. And to add to that, and you know, we already praised Ian Cole a little bit, but even Philip Peronic last night. My goodness. No, no, Philip Peronic was fantastic. I mean, just a smart hockey player again. Yep. But also, he, he competes. He competes so well, makes a simple play, has some offensive flair to him as well. But just such a steady hockey yeah. player. But you know how we often talked about when you I see... I love how he jumped into the play for Brock's second goal. Yes, absolutely. And also, like you know how we talk about players sometimes, especially like, what, we know what Quinn looks like, but what a normal top four defenseman looks like, it's like, that. that's it. <laughs> you know, like, you, you know when you see it, and yeah. that's Philip Peronic. Uh, and he played like it last night, and I'd say Ian Cole played like that last night, and then it makes the rest of the game that much easier if you are the Vancouver Canucks. Now, um, what happens Saturday? I mean, you know, that's going to be where the real test lies for this Canucks team. We'll get into it more tomorrow. Uh, Yannick Hansen will join us, and, you know, Saturday's focus my thing with this team, Sat, play consistently. You know? Am I expecting that level of an effort for all 82 games? That's asking a lot. Yeah. You know, every team is going to have some dips in form throughout the course of the season, nights where you don't have it. I get all that. But can we have a consistent game plan night in and night out? And that's where I think this team has struggled to find their consistency so that when they fall on hard times, fall on some adversity in a game, they have something to fall back on. They're staples, as Rick Tockett would say. And one game doesn't show us that. No, you know what shows you that? Adversity. Yeah. And I don't mean, you know, you lost a few games in a row. I mean, like, you're having a tough game and things are not there. And what do you revert to when you're really under pressure? when you're under duress, when you have to chase a game a little bit, like, what are you reverting to? We haven't seen those things yet. So as much as we talk about what you have to show when you're having success in terms of commitment and how to win, they nailed it. But we can't evaluate how they feel in adversity or in a game they're losing, in a game they're chasing. Like, how do you play then? You know, it's a proverbial, you know, how do you react when the bullets are flying? You know, and we've seen oftentimes them reverting back to having a lot of trouble. They have a lot of new faces here too, right? It's, it's a different feel, different vibe, and hopefully that's different. And if it is, then all of a sudden, okay, now we can be a consistent team. They can't be 
a team that wins seven out of ten and then also loses seven out of ten. You're still a 500 team. Yeah, you've uh, you've got to fall back on something. You've got to build on this and build on it throughout the course of the season. Stan Richo, Satyar Shah. All right, coming up, Harmon Dial is going to join us as we continue to break down the 8-1 win and how the Canucks build on it from here. That's next on Canucks Central.